And I, this, this um, particular section of First Peter, um, as Peter has been dealing with these various and assorted ideas um, that uh, he's kind of throwing on the table for us. He's laying these things out and kind of hitting us with all these different images and ideas. Uh, believe it or not, when I first started reading this, I said, I said, well, you know, Peter is, um, you know, he's 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 kind of rushing headlong, and he is. He's he's got this kind of uh, headlong approach to the way that he's writing. Um, it's just a bunch of here's this and here's this and here's what I understood. But there's also a, a there's also a direction. He's not just randomly doing it, and and I I don't want to give that impression that he's just randomly saying things and there's no cohesive vision to what he's saying. Because it most definitely is. Peter is going somewhere with what he's saying um, and what he's writing. And he begins to get into what that, that direction is um, in the, the second half of chapter 2. Um, we're going to pick up in chapter 2 and verse 13 this morning. And we're going to look at, um, he begins to, to kind of open the door to one of the great lessons he has learned from Christ about the church, Christ, and Christians in this world. Um, and he has a lot to say about it. And, and I, I, want to, I want to preface it by uh, a statement. And I, and I don't want the statement to be taken the wrong way. So I have to make sure that I, I intentionally try to avoid that. Peter will make you very uncomfortable in this next section. Because what he calls us to do as Christians is very different from the way that most Western Christians have lived for the last 1,500 years or so. So the challenge that Peter presents us is an ancient challenge and I'll be honest, as I was reading these passages, I was really, um, I kind of got to a point where I almost said, oh, Peter, don't say that. I didn't want him to say some of the things that he says in the next couple of chapters. Um, And this one passage we're about to get to in verse 13 is both timely and difficult. And so I want you to join with me in prayer as we open these scriptures and as we look at them because I I want to be able to convey what Peter has to say and and hopefully we can apply it to our own lives and our connection to the world. So let's, let's go ahead and join in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, give us, give us wisdom as we come to your word. As we come to the written words of Peter, one of your son Jesus' closest friends, writing about his life in the world and our attitudes, Lord, help us to understand um, not just mentally, um, but at that core part of our being, alter what needs to be altered in us, that we might um, follow this, this man who was following Christ, that we might recognize in his words, your words, that lead us to be more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name by the power of his resurrection. Amen. 
1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. Um, and you can grab that and the page number is in the bulletin. And uh, they're not always accurate, the page numbers in the bulletin, but it should get you in the general ballpark. Um, so, uh, but 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or king, the Greek word basileos, as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, I don't know about you, but as a uh, conservative libertarian with a low L, and I don't often talk about politics, but that's my, my political persuasion, this passage makes me a little uncomfortable. This passage makes me a little uncomfortable because I don't agree with a lot of things that happen uh, in government and um, I don't agree with a lot of stuff. And, and, and understand me when I talk about this, I am not talking... I'm not presenting to you, this is what the Bible says about this per- particular current issue and you should, you should do what I do and believe how I believe because of what I believe. I'm just sharing you for a moment what Eric thinks. Um, and, and what Eric thinks, I hate it when people talk about themselves in the third person. I, I'm, I'm very, very much um, uh, anti-war for the wrong reasons. I'm, I'm very, very much... Um, anti-law for stupid stuff. I'm, I'm very, very much of the persuasion that the government should just leave me alone unless I break a law. That, that, that's, that's where I am personally. So when I read a, verse, a passage like this, I go, I go, well, Peter didn't really understand the environment we're in. He didn't really understand the world we have to live in. And then I realized this, and this will... <laughs> This is worth considering. Peter lived through the reign of Caligula. Caligula was insane. He voted his horse into the Senate. His nickname, Caligula, how would you like to go through your adulthood being nicknamed by the costume that your mom used to dress you up in when you were a baby? Caligula, the, it, it literally means little sandals, and Roman soldiers, his father was a general in Germany, and, um, and Caligula's mom, who went on went encampment with her, her dad, had a little Roman legionnaire's uniform made for him when he was a little boy, um, and everybody thought he was so cute, oh, little booties. And that's what Caligula means. His name was Tiberius Augustus Germanicus, and everybody called him, oh, Caligula, into his adulthood. He was in love with his sister. He had real issues. Um, He was a strange dude. He was so bad that he was assassinated by people working for his uncle, who became the next emperor, Claudius. Uh, This is a terrible, terrible person who made awful, awful decisions. 
Claudius was a relatively decent. Um, Claudius was kind of the Millard Fillmore of, of emperors. Everybody had to learn his name, but nobody can remember anything the guy did. All right, because um, we knew he was a president in there somewhere. Right? Um, I couldn't even tell. I think Fillmore was president in 1850, but I can't tell you for sure. Um, but uh, but you know, it's like uh, we don't we don't really you know what do we know about him? And then Claudius was succeeded by um, his wife's son, who you may have heard of, Nero, who was also completely and utterly insane. Um, a man who tried to kill his mother twice rather than just tell her. It's none of your business. All he had to do was say to his mom, you're not emperor, sit down. And instead, he tried to kill her twice by very creative ways. A boat designed to sink. A room, this is my personal favorite, he designed a special room for her with a false ceiling so that somebody could pull, push a switch or pull a timber or something and the ceiling would fall on her. All right? I mean, this is, this is not even his mother-in-law. This is his mother he's trying to kill this way. Uh, Nero had real issues. He fancied himself a singer, and his concerts ran to six or seven hours. And as we're told, the emperor Vespasian fell asleep. Um, He was a general at the time, fell asleep in one of Nero's concerts because it was so terrible. It's like falling asleep in Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, right? Um, And he he fell asleep and so was exiled. Nero couldn't... Nero won over 120 chariot races because everybody else was terrified of beating him. So as Nero would come around the corner, all the guys, whoa, oh, go ahead. Oh, Emperor, you were amazing. You were the best champion. He was nuts. He was a megalomaniac. And he, by the way, is the emperor at the time that Peter writes this line. You think our head of state is a little off? All right, imagine saying, writing this line. Peter, by the way, lives in Rome. He knows this situation intimately. He refers to Rome, by the way, as Babylon, the great world power that is opposed to the agenda of Christ. And yet he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, as supreme or to his governors. Now how can we reconcile that with living under human government? Peter is saying that human government is instituted by God. So how can we live under a human government that we don't agree with? Now first of all, I would would just let you know that even in a wonderful Republican democracy like the United States is, 50% of the people are always living under a government they don't agree with. Okay? So if you've got a government that you agree with, guess what? The other half of the country doesn't agree with him. So, so, you know, always remember, put yourself in other people's shoes. But how do we live under this authority? How did Peter do it? And I want to kind of break down what he, what he says about this. Because I think it applies to a lot of different human governments. All right, so the very first thing that I want you to observe about what Peter has to say here is this particular little idea. And it doesn't come across in English, so forgive me just a little bit of an expansion from the original language. But when he says be subject, 
All right? That line in Greek, it means to come under the created order. It does not mean to surrender your ability for critical thinking. It does not mean accept everything and anything an authority figure says because they're authority and so therefore they must be right. The, the term he uses there is very, very specific and he says come under the created order. Come under the way that God has instituted this and live your life the way that God intended you to live under this institution. Now the word institution, by the way, that's, that's listed here, for God's sake, to every human institution, is literally everything that God created. Now, I want to ask you great Bible scholars, what do we know about everything that God has created since Genesis chapter 3, what is true of all of creation? Alright? It is fallen. All right, Genesis chapter 3, I subtitle that in every Bible I own. It's, my header for Genesis 3 is the thud. All right, because we like to call it the fall. I like to call it the thud. All right, because we didn't just fall. It wasn't just, oh. All right, mankind fell flat on his face. Everything about creation is fallen. That means that it is imperfect. And that means it is broken. And that means it does not operate the right way all the time. But it is still God's creation and we do not have a right to say just because something is imperfect or flawed we do not get the right to say therefore it doesn't matter now what peter is dealing with and if you this is a little bit of the jewish mindset but peter views the whole world as an organized system everything about the universe everything about humanity is organized God created an organized world. So when God organized the household, he organized it, and this is wildly unpopular in America today, but he organized the household with a, a man, um, and he was supposed to be the head of the household, and he was supposed to take care of his family, and he was supposed to control and discipline and order his home, both spiritually, physically, financially, every category that you can think of. It was his job, and God gave to that man a helpmate, a helpmeet, an equal with a different set of jobs in the responsibilities in the home. Not, not, you know, not man and then woman slave to man. No, equals, helpmates, and they are working together in the home to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to teach their children what to fear and what to, what to honor, to teach their children how to live their lives, to provide for one another, to take care of one another in sickness and health um, until death do us part. That was how God created that organization. God created the church in a certain organization. At the, at, in the church, the church is, who is the head of the church? Like, oh, the pastor is the head of the church. No. The, the pope is the head of the church. No. All right. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ empowers the church um, through the Holy Spirit. He used his apostles to write the, the New Testament to give us how we should operate as a church. And his Holy Spirit say, redeems and corrects and, and transforms the people people of God to come together as the church of God, yielded to the Holy Spirit, and then out of those people, he calls, gifts, and anoints, and ordains certain people to be the leaders of the church, the elders, the ministers of the church, the deacons, and the body of the church. None of them are better or superior to one another in terms of the human things, not God, and 
I don't want to be taken out of context there, but, um, but all of the human beings in the church, the Holy Spirit chooses and gifts them. You can read it, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians. He deals with this. We're all different set of gifts, different set of equipping, different set of anointing, but we're all the same in the body of Christ under its head. God organizes things. Now, does it always work that way? I mean, any of you that have been in church for any period of time know churches are human, and sometimes humans go wrong. Sometimes the thud sounds loudest on the floor of the auditorium during a business meeting. God organized the home, he organized the church, and God organized human government. Sometimes we act like human government is something that we created. God created human government. You can read in the book of Genesis, when Cain kills Abel, we have the first institution of God saying, you are responsible for the way that you behave toward other human beings. That, by the way, is the purpose of human government. Human government's job is to protect the freedoms of those who are free from those who would violate those freedoms to punish the guilty, and to, to protect the innocent. That's what human government is created to be in the scriptures. You can read the book of Genesis. You can read what God says to Noah after the flood. He institutes human government to punish the wicked and to protect the innocent. To create a bubble where we can act in freedom. I'll just take it out of the Bible for a second. Come over to Eric's, Eric's libertarian conservatism. Okay? I believe it is your right as an American and as a free person to ride on the highway on a motorcycle at 70 miles an hour without a helmet on. And if you splatter your own brains, it's your fault. Okay? I believe in freedom. I believe that you should be free. The government's job is not to tell you how to, how to live your life. The government's job is to protect you so you can live your life. Okay, back into the Bible. All right. So um, th- this, this whole idea of this whole idea of God creating a human institution, although it is flawed, we are called to obey and honor it. And sometimes the highest order of obedience, sometimes the highest order of submission is dissent against evil. Now you can process that idea But if you think about it scripturally, this guy, by the way, Peter, was crucified by the people he tells us to honor. Because sometimes the highest order of honor is dissent. When I was growing up as a kid in a very, very fundamentalist uh, uh, kind of movement, even though my family was not super involved in that, there were a lot of weird things going on, and there was a couple of particular things that were teaching you how to live as a man and a woman in your marriage, and, and one, of the, one of the schools of thought was that when you, marri- when you got married, ladies, you're going to love this statement, and be, you're going to be eternally grateful we don't believe this. All right? One of the arguments was that once you got married, you give up all your rights to individual opinion or thought, whatever your husband tells you, you must do. So if your husband tells you, if your husband is an alcoholic and your husband tells you to go down to the corner store and pick up a 12-pack of beer for him so that he can get drunk and beat your kids, you are supposed to do it because you've been placed under your husband's authority. You must obey your husband in all things. I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes the highest order of honor is dissent against evil. Sometimes the highest order of honor is dissent against evil. 
um, sometimes we just have to say that's not right. And that's how we honor those institutions. When the government or an individual or a person or a church leader does something that violates the mandate of God's scriptures and the principles taught therein, our highest order of honor to that institution and to that person is honest dissent. Now, dissent is not screaming and yelling. Dissent is not taking out banners and marching in protest at the funerals of military people. That is not biblical dissent. Biblical dissent is I disagree. Here are my reasons for disagreeing, and this is where I stand. This is who I am as Christ has made me, and I disagree with what the evil that is going on. I think, to be perfectly honest, in our modern world, we have so demoted dissent, D-I-S-S-E-N-T, because I just realized I put my hands down, and that's also a dissent, D-E-S-C-E-N-T. Um, we have so demoted dissent, we disagree with everything. We protest everything. Out of the Bible for a second. They kill lions in Africa all the time. All right, back in. Um, the, we, we dissent against everything, everything. We're going to disagree with everything. We get people on one side screaming and yelling, saying, you must recycle everything. You must never breathe because you're carbon monoxide emissions. And we have other people on the other side going, God created the universe. We can do whatever we want. Take the styrofoam cup, throw it on the floor. Ha, ha, ha. I'm a steward of God. They're moron. All right. It, but the, it, this, this, the reality is, did I just say that? I, I didn't mean to say that, sorry. I just get irritated with people on the extremes who are arguing, 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 and they're over on this side, and they're dissenting for about this, and they're arguing about this, and they're opposed to that, and they're opposed to this. And Look, informed dissent is I know what I believe because of the principles that I believe in, and I disagree. I'm not going to take up arms I'm not going to scream and yell about how, how everybody who disagrees with me all right, is, is somehow unscriptural or unbiblical or ungodly because they disagree with me. Informed dissent is I am confident enough that I believe what God says to be true. I can articulate what God has said to be true. And it is not in conformity with someone I am honoring. People who want to scream and yell and chafe at authority. And they don't really give any solid reasons except for they can yell louder than somebody else. That's not biblical dissent with authority. I'm called to honor the emperor. I'm called to honor the emperor. So the apostle Peter, who lived and died a martyr's death, could live in Rome, a place of debauchery, a place of sin, a place of corruption, and he could honor Christ, his Savior, in that world, and even in dissent, even when the human system chose to crucify him, and this was true of the Apostle Peter, Paul as well, was beheaded the same time period, he could honor it. And he could honor it. You can honor an institution by dissent. To be honest, the greater dishonor to an authority is to say, well, I disagree, but I'm not going to say anything. 
I, I, I disagree, but you know, I'm not going to say anything. So let me, just to make sure I understand. Somebody in a position of authority who is going to corrupt and destroy and violate the rights of others, you disagree with what they're going to do, but you value your own opinion too much that you, so much that you choose to not say anything. I disagree with things all the time. I'm infamous for, te- for sitting and listening to somebody talk and then go, I disagree. And here's the reasons I disagree. Okay. We're on opposite sides. We're different points of view. We disagree. My wife and I disagree on things. I know that comes as a big surprise because we all know that in, in marriage, um, sometimes your wife is right and sometimes you are wrong. Um, think about that. Uh, but the, you know, sometimes I do what my wife wants and the rest of the time I do what my wife wants. Um, the reality is my wife and I disagree on some things. And if it's an issue, if it's an issue of sin, I do occasionally sin. I don't try to avoid it, but it happens. My wife is more than willing to call me on that. And she doesn't do it maliciously. She doesn't do it. Um, she doesn't do it like hard-nosed or cranky or anything like that. Generally, she she sits down and she thinks about what she's going to say, and she says what needs to be said. And more often than not, I have to recognize that she's right. Now, who's the head of the household? Well, biblically, I'm the head of the household, but I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I make mistakes. I have to be, sometimes there has to be dissent. We put this on a a huge scale of what does the church do, what do Christians do on a global government scale when there are things we disagree with? Informed dissent. I disagree with what is being said. And I've told this story before, but I've, I've been told repeatedly by Christians, by pastors, you must vote for the candidate, either the Democrat candidate or the Republican candidate. You must vote for one of the two, otherwise you're throwing away your vote. So if I disagree with him, and I disagree with him, I should pick the one I disagree with less or I should have informed dissent. I do not agree. I will not compromise what I believe are the institutions and principles of God to placate the lesser of two evils. The Apostle Peter says that government exists, the government of the Roman government exists for a couple things. I want to just leave these with you. I know that I've probably ruffled feathers and all kinds of stuff, and there, hopefully there'll be great questions and good conversations and people dissenting and all kinds of stuff going on this week. He says in verse 15, this is the will of God. Kind of ended that conversation, didn't he? That submitting to human the institutions is the will of God. That by, look at what he says, Doing good 
you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So our interactions with the government or authorities or whatever else that we're dealing with, the number one priority that Peter says is that by doing good, and that includes informed dissent, by doing good you silence foolish people. How do you get a fool to shut his mouth? By speak the truth. By doing good. He says this is our place in government is to do good, to silence foolishness. By the way, he doesn't say the foolishness of people on this side or that side because there are fools on both sides. Secondly, he says to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So the, the first interaction of the Christians with government is that they do good to silence ignorance. The second thing is so that we can live free so that evil is not covered up. The best answer to bad people doing bad things to people is not for the government to do something, but for good people to act. The only answer to evil is not... The answer... Laws... Government creates laws. Criminals, by definition, are lawbreakers. The more laws the government creates, it just gives them more opportunity to break more laws. It's like declaring a place a gun-free zone. Who's going to stop carrying guns? The people who follow the law. Murder, by definition, is not following the law. Therefore, somebody carrying a gun to kill somebody is not going to follow that rule. You see how this works? The answer to, to evil, abusing freedom, is for good people to act on their freedom. The answer to evil is always good. The answer to evil is not words on a page. The answer to evil is good people doing good things. Uh, The answer to need, the answer to poverty, the answer to all these things is not that the government works something out. That's not what God instituted the government to do. It's good people rising to the occasion to do what good people do because they have the freedom to do it. Third, he says, and number 17, verse 17 is the most important line in this whole thing. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now I would subject, submit to you that this philosophy, fear God and honor your rulers, is inverted in our world where we fear our rulers and we only honor God. Are we not, do we not live in a society where we are afraid of breaking the law more than we are excited or joyful about honoring God? We are afraid of the government rather than being afraid of God. You say, well, what is fear of God? It's a healthy respect. It's about it. I, I got to tell you what it means in Greek. It means fear. 
that you understand God is more powerful than any human institution which has been corrupted by sin, and therefore you abide by God's mandate in honoring the government. Evoke controversy. That's my plan today. The government of the state of New Hampshire comes to me and says, you as a pastor of a church, as a leader of a religious organization, under the laws of the state of New Hampshire, you are required to do marriages for anyone who comes to you and asks you for that marriage. I will say no. I am fully prepared in my lifetime. And you guys need to understand this about the world we live in. I am fully prepared in my lifetime to make an informed dissent against the government of our nation and our locality that will take me to prison. I fully believe that by the end of my lifetime, I will have been taken to jail and put before the, put before the bar for simply abiding by the scriptural mandate of the Word of God. Why? I'm not afraid of the government, but I do fear God. I will honor the government. I will do what is expected of me as long as it does not violate the mandates of Scripture, but I will make an informed dissent, and I will not compromise my faith to be a good American. I love America. I love our nation. I love everything it stands for. And as broken as it is, it's still the best thing in the earth. But if at any time the government of our nation tells me to do something that violates the word of God, I will follow God. And you should too. You should too. You should be willing to not be afraid of people telling you to do something that is not biblical. Now look, you cannot get pulled over going 100 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour speed limit and say, I fear God, not the government. All right? Now you're just being silly. All right? And believe it or not, there are people that do this. They cross the border and refuse to allow the border patrol to inspect their vehicle because I'm not, I'm, I fear God, not the government. All right? That's just crazy. All right? The Border Patrol is inspecting your vehicle to prevent illegal narcotics. I know they're not doing a very good job, but they are trying. All right, respect it. Respect the government, but fear God. Honor the government. You know what, if the President of the United States, who I disagree with on a, a lot of different things, if I were summoned to the White House, which will never happen unless he listens to my podcast, if I were summoned to the White House, do you understand that in the White House I would refer to him as Mr. President? I would never call him Barry. All right. if, if I were invited, I would go. I would dress at the absolute best I could. I would even make sure I shaved properly and wore my contacts. I would bring whatever it was that was asked of me. I would present my family in all of their glory and grandeur because they're better looking than me. I would go and I would honor him. But I don't fear him. Fear God. The Apostle Peter eventually reached this point in his life where he had to honor the government 
but fear God. And that's what led to his martyrdom. I hope and pray that we never encounter this, but in our interaction with the world, we must understand that good silences evil. Good silences evil. It may not happen in the news media, but it should happen in our lives. That we are characterized by the good we do and not the evil that we fear. Good silences evil. Freedom is not an excuse for people to do evil. And we fear God, but we honor the king. Is a human institution of, or of government broken? Yes. Just as the human institution of the home is broken. And we have to make do with the best we can. You say, what is your ideal situation for everyone? My ideal, to be perfectly honest, my ideal situation for people never happens. We live in a world of second best. I don't know of a single person who has had a major, huge issue in their past who doesn't wish that it didn't happen. I've never met somebody who said, it was the most horrible thing that ever happened in my life. Yay! Horrible things are bad things. We live in a world of, we make do with what we have. That's, That's the reality of living in a world with sin. But for some reason, American Christianity, particularly evangelical Christianity, has gotten it in their brains that somehow they have to they have to dis, they have to be vocally uh, um, uh, uh, I, I can't even think of the word for it viciously opposed and they have to to to, to somehow they they have to agree with everybody that disagrees with the people they disagree with all right I, I'm not like that I I, I you know whether it, whether it's somebody that that's in a cult. A cultic church, or, or uh, you know, or somebody that disagrees with me on. So if, if they disagree with me, they disagree with me. I'm not going to make, you know, they say politics make strange bedfellows. I, I'm not going to make an alliance with somebody that disagrees with me just because they disagree with somebody that I disagree with. I am who I am, and and that's who we are as Christians. We're supposed to be submitted to Christ first and foremost. We're supposed to be submitted to God first and foremost. We can dissent as Christians. We can disagree as Christians who are submitted to Christ. We have to be careful that we don't confuse our submission to Christ and our our arguments against this political party or that political party. We as the church, we are outliers and nonconformists. That's what we're called to be. We are not subject to evil. It does not rule us. We're ruled by Christ. We live in a world with a broken organization, but God God created that organization, so as long as we live in it, we submit to it, even when our submission is dissent. Does that make sense? It's a complicated idea because we get very emotional about things. And and I'm going to tell you something, just so you know. The world system loves to make things emotional. They love to make you make choices based on how you feel instead of what you believe. 
well, I feel like this is the way it should be. No, it should be because this is what I believe. I should do this. My, and, and I'll close with this illustration just because my dad was up yesterday and he just had the greatest illustration of, of uh, his political, his views, all right? He believes in the freedom of man like I do. Um, and uh, my dad seems to, if my dad is around a firearm, somehow he will get hurt. All right, he has been shot twice. He just he was in Iraq in 2004, managed to attract gunfire as a civilian. I mean, he just he if he is around violence, if he's around guns, my dad was shot when he was 18, um, almost died, his lung collapsed, and there's all kinds of stuff. He hates guns to the point that one time, uh, anytime my dad goes to a funeral, I remember when my grandfather Jack died, and they gave him uh, they gave him a gun salute. I don't remember how many guns because he's a vet. My dad wasn't expecting it. And the guns went off. And I mean, I've never seen a man jump as high as he did. All right? Because it terrified him. He, he just doesn't like the sound of firearms. But my dad said to me one time, because I happen to really like the sound of firearms. Um, he said to me, it is your right and your privilege as an American, though I disagree a million ways. He says, if you want to have an Apache helicopter parked in your parking lot. Now, by the way, you do not want to tell an 18-year-old that if you want to have an Apache helicopter parked in your driveway, you can. But he did. All right? He says, it is your right. It's your freedom. But the second that you cross the line and use that weapon to harm another citizen, I will be the first person calling for your execution. Now, your dad says something like that to you. <laughs> There's a certain detail. But, but the reality is, here's the reality. We can honor the government. We can live in freedom. But we can have informed dissent. I disagree with this, but I recognize that you have the right to do it. I disagree with this, but as the government, I want to let you know that I disagree, that I will not conform, but I'm still a good citizen. I'm a follower of Christ. I... It's not really a whole lot of like specific application stuff. I just want to throw these ideas out for you and hopefully create a real discussion about a very difficult subject in our modern world. Our relationship to the government and the church and everything is very complex. And I recognize that not everybody in this room agrees with me politically, and that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but we do have to come to an agreement that our priority as followers of Christ is to honor Christ to honor the Lord above all things, to fear Him and honor the government, honor the organization, institutions that God has created. And when I say government, I don't mean just the federal government. I mean the government of the home, the government of the church, the government, government as in things that are led. We have to honor those things, but we have to fear God. I want to invite you this morning now to, to just make a transition. Greg's going to come up and lead us in a song, and then we're going to observe the Lord's